This morning we'll continue our sermon series on the way of peace, the Ten Commandments. And our scripture text this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. If you are using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text on page 154. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19. Listen carefully. These are God's words. You shall not steal. Together as God's people to, to sing and to listen to astonishing uh, music and lyrics that just touch our hearts. It's such a joy. This morning as we continue our way, as one said, through the, the, the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> uh, I want to ask you a question, which is the title of the sermon. Of the, of the sermon. It's called, Whose Is It? Whose Is It? Or you could say, Whose Is That? And I want to teach us to, as we leave here, to live our lives always looking at something and saying, Whose Is That? Okay, so not only the question, whose is that, but also, whose am I? Whose am I? We'll talk about several more questions. This, this morning, as I, uh, this week, as I was thinking about this, uh, these four short little words, at least in English and Hebrew, there's two words, uh, you shall not steal. Uh, my, my wife reminded me of a story when she was a child. And, and it was a time when she, there was a Sunday afternoon, they were returning home to, uh, from, I think from the library or from somewhere, and uh, Sarah and her mom and sisters uh, they pulled into the back alley of their house, and they discovered a car running uh, right and parked right behind their house. And they, they noticed that, that they got out, they noticed the back door was open, and uh, they entered, uh, and they only to hear a robber uh, rummaging through the house. And he heard them, and he, uh, he, he uh, ran out the front door, because they were in the back. He ran out the front door and ran around the side of the house, and jumped in the car and, and drove away. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and of course, they began to immediately search like what, what, had, what, if anything, he had taken. And, and very unfortunately, he had gotten into the master bedroom and stolen all of her mother's jewelry, including, uh, it just so happened that her, uh, her mom's wedding ring was in there as well. And so she had taken all of that. And the sense, and if you've ever been robbed or if you've been stolen from, you know the sense of loss. Not just the sense of loss, but the sense of, of powerlessness, of a sense of like, wow, what just happened to me? I didn't realize this could, this could happen. And not only a sense of loss and a sense of, uh, of powerlessness, but even more than that, profoundly, a sense of violation, a sense of, of who I am and what I have has been taken from me. And there's a, there's a, there's a loss of our, of our respect and dignity there. And, and theft is not something that only happens at the personal level. We think of you know, mugging, we think of theft, we think of different things like that. But even at a, at a much larger level in life, we think of things that are taken from us. You know, even here in the States, we, uh, we certainly have um, examples of, of, of public crime. We think of, of situations where politicians steal money or, or, or in businesses. I'll talk about that more in a second. But when I was, in, uh, when I was serving in Puerto Rico... This was uh, not too long after arriving in 2016. It was the, the, the I think it was no one would say late November of 2016. I was with some friends and we were at a Cuban restaurant um, that had a cigar lounge attached to it. And we, 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 were, we walked in and uh, it was, I don't know, it was a weekday night. And um, it was the strangest thing because the place was packed out. And there was this party to end all parties happening. At, at this this restaurant slash uh, cigar bar, 
and we, we I mean, they're, they're, everyone was drinking. There was cigars lit up everywhere. And someone gave us, literally, we, we walked in, someone just handed us free drinks and free cigars. And we're like, wow, this is, this is just amazing, right? We were, we were kind of amazed. We, we, they welcomed us into the party, and we asked, what in the world the occasion was? Is it someone's birthday, or what's going on? And they said, haven't you heard? Now think about this. I don't know if you guys have good memories. It's late 2016. This is, the, the name of the restaurant is Abana Cuba, okay? And these are, these are not Puerto Ricans, these are Cubans. And they're celebrating. You know what they're celebrating? They're celebrating the death of Fidel Castro. Because a lot of, the, a lot of these Cubans, you see this in Puerto Rico, there's actually a, a significant Cuban presence of Cubans who fled uh, in the 50s, 60s, and throughout that era because Castro confiscated, stole all of their businesses, all their property, everything that they had. And they had, they had to flee for their lives. So not just theft on, a, on like stealing, a, having a car stolen or, or having something, something stolen from amongst that you had, but literally having everything stolen from them, fleeing for their lives, even having lost some family members. I mean, Castro you know, murdered some of their family members. They told us, they recounted to us the sense of loss and the sense of just having to, I mean, fleeing for their lives, losing all, I mean, generations of, of, of hard work in their businesses that they had, and, was, and, and it's a couple, a week or two, or, or a couple days, all of it was gone. And so when Castro had finally, at I think at what, the age of 90, I think, um, passed away, they were celebrating uh, the death of one who, um, who had done so much damage to their, their lives and to their families' lives. They say that, I, I've, just from the little reading I did this week, and you know, those of you who are in business can correct me, but my understanding is that one of the greatest financial threats to businesses today is, is theft. Not only primarily even sh- uh, theft from, from shoplifters, although that's significant, um, it's act- actually often theft from employees. Employee theft costs billions uh, to, to uh, U.S. corporations every single year, something around $50 billion. In fact, they estimate that Walmart makes around, its revenue is something around $300 billion a year, and $3 billion of, $3 billion of that is lost every year in, 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 um, in, in theft. The Eighth Commandment very says these simple four words, you shall not steal. And I confess, just I think in my own life, and this is something that I, I've done before. In fact, I think as a kid, I can remember this, um, my, my sister was very um, thrifty, and she would save all her allowance. And, uh, and I always thought, why is she hoarding all that money? What's it there for? And, I mean, what's she, and, and very, very wrongly, sinfully, every once in a while, I'd go in and I'd sneak some money from, from her. Uh, because I thought, you know, she's not going to miss this. Right? I, I can, this, this is the thought of a, th- of a person who steals. Like they, there's a sense of ownership of, I control this, this is for me. And that's what I did. I'd go in there and I, I, I can remember this was, it was probably in my early 20s when I finally owned that tour. <laughs> I think I gave her some money back or whatever, you know, but, but uh, that was, that's, that's how that went. Um, this morning, I, I do want to ask a strange question. Whose is that? And also, whose am I? The Eighth Commandment forbids theft of any kind. Uh, but it's likely, and this is, this is actually really is interesting, is it's likely that it especially outlaws a certain kind of theft. Uh, in the Old Testament, in fact, every commandment that we have uh, discussed so far has the death penalty. And it's only with the Eighth Commandment that we get to a commandment where the death penalty is no longer required, with one exception. 
The exception is stealing a human being. It's what we would call kidnapping. In the Old Testament, the punishment for kidnapping is, or the, 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 the uh, penalty for kidnapping is, is death. So it's a criminal offense. And uh, I don't know how many of you have, 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 you know, every once in a while we'll hear this in the news, we'll hear about human trafficking. And I can remember a, 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 a fellow pastor friend of mine in a church in Atlanta talking, this is a number of years ago now, but this is a really beautiful story, talking about how uh, one morning uh, at, the, at the church office, some of the ministers were talking about how over a series of months they kept seeing in the news these terrible, I mean these horrific stories of police or various pers- municipal officers finding the bodies of young women discarded. Like, what in the world is going on? Where are these? Who are these women? They're nameless. They have no identity, nothing. No one knew who, what was, what was like, where, what was this, the string of events? Was, what was going on? And these, these pastors started to look into it more and research it more. And they, and just, and this is, a, this is I want to say this is early 2000s at best. And they began to realize, and through research, that Atlanta was one of the main entry points for human trafficking. Into, uh, into the States. And, and it was a, it's a beautiful story because these pastors decided to do something about it and they started talking to other church leaders in the area and they started doing all this research and they got churches interested and they, they gathered for a meeting to discuss what they could do in Atlanta to help curb human trafficking. And what's so beautiful about it is that somehow, some way, I think maybe someone in the church was, uh, was in the police force or something, but the, the word got to the, to the local police force. And they heard, hey, there's this meeting going on at, at this church, and they're talking about this issue. They're going they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna to try to tackle this issue and see what can be done. And so sure enough, the law enforcement guys sent, you know, the, the police sent someone to, to, uh, to, as a representative to like, listen in and see what was going on. And then from the, from the law enforcement office, someone actually told the, the, the mayor. The mayor's office sent someone. And from there, actually, someone from the FBI heard about this same meeting. And so sure enough, you have an FBI agent show up at this meeting. And before you know it, you have, you have the church of Jesus Christ in Atlanta leading the way in fighting human trafficking. And from that, they launched a, a massive nonprofit, and that it, it wasn't under the flag or of this church because the church was just so, just so awesome. And they launched this independent nonprofit about how to tackle, how to care for, for those who've, who've, who've experienced human trafficking, who've been caught up in it, for how to ta- tackle some of the, the ways that, that the people um, are, are, are that, that the humans are brought into Atlanta. And it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, but, the, but, this, but theft, the Eighth Commandment, is, is, is primarily about this notion of kidnapping. But it's not exclusive to that. So the Eighth Commandment is rooted in an idea that goes to the very heart of who God is. And who God is can take us, listen to this, those of you who are little, I want you to hear this. The eighth, the who God is can take us from being takers to keepers to givers. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Okay, to be a taker is to be a, a, a to be a stealer, to steal something, to be a taker. And this morning, I want to move from from the, the idea of being a taker to being and to not just even being a keeper to hold on to what I have. Right, taking is ta- is is when you take from what someone else has. That's stealing. Keeping is just 
is just having what's yours and not giving it to anyone, all the way to the idea of actually taking what is yours and giving it to someone else. So from takers to keepers to givers. Now what I want to do here to, to communicate how this works and who it is, who God is and how this is happens, I want to actually give a, pay, a piece of paper to some of you kids here. So I'm going to give here, I'm going to give you a piece of paper here. There you go. Got that? There's one. Who else? Um, I'll give one here. Okay, about back here. Lucy, do you want to come, come get a piece of paper? Come get a piece of paper. You want to come up here real quick? There you go. Come get a piece of paper. And what I want you guys to do with this is to make a paper airplane. Can you do that? You can do that? And while they're making a paper airplane, I want to, to you adults, I want to explain something. Okay? As the creator of all things, listen to this. As the creator of all things, God is the owner of all things. Look back in your bulletin. Did you notice in your bulletin? Look back in your bulletin at the call to worship. What does it say there? Do you see Psalm 95? There's a very simple principle here. Uh, Lucas, you making your paper airplane? Good, keep going. Okay, look at, look at uh, the, the Psalm 95, and it says here, it says, uh, look at the fourth line down, it says, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. And then it says, in his hand, and the notion of something having in your hand is the idea of ownership. In his hand are the depths of the earth. And the mountain, so that's, that's the, the depths of the earth is the very bottom part. That's the idea of the very lowest. And the mountain peaks is the very highest. So everything, and it's a way of, of, of saying that everything belongs to him, from the, bottom, from the lowest to the highest. Even the mountain peaks belong to him. And then he says, the sea is his. Why? For he made it. Okay? And his hands formed the dry land. See, there's this, there's, this, there's this notion that if you make something, what? It belongs to you. Lucas, are you done? Almost? Oh, this guy's over here. Okay, excellent. Okay, um, so Benjamin, um, can I, might, might I see this real quick? Okay, so now who made this? Benjamin did, right? Does that mean I can, does that mean, so I, I, did you notice how I asked him for it? Why did I ask him for it? Because it's his. And why is it his? Because he made it. Okay, so let's say I took this and I crumpled it all up. Would that be okay? No, why not? Because you made it. Yeah, it's right, it's his. You see, that's a very simple idea. But, but behind the idea of theft and ownership is the question, whose is this? Whose is this? It's his. Right? Because he made it. Now, here's the thing. He can choose to give it, he can choose to give it to me just for the bar. Like, you didn't give it to me permanently, right? You just let me see it. Right? So, but, so, we, so he, I'm going to give it back to him because it's his. Now, now, if he wants to, if Benjamin wanted to, what could he do? Or if Lucas over here, look at Lucas. Says, wow, this is a pretty, this is the high, this is high speed here. Nice. Okay, so he, and again, I asked him for it, and he kindly gave it to me. I'm not sure he had much choice. But, um, but he let me, so, so theoretically, Lucas here, if he wanted to, uh, he could give it to me under certain conditions. He could say, this is mine, but I'm going to let you borrow it, or you can have it if, what? If I take care of it? Or if I use it, you know, like I'm supposed to? Or if I pay for it, maybe I'll be able to some sort of transaction. So you see, a financial, I guess you're a future entrepreneur here. This is good. If, for how much? A million dollars? Okay, we'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to bargain for a while. I mean, the bargain to see if I can work down the, the price here. But the idea is that even if he gives it to me, 
to use, I have to use it in the way that he says. Okay? So as, as creator, he's not only the owns it, but he gets to decide, he gets to actually legislate and say how it's going to be used. And he even gets to evaluate. So let's say that, let's say that Lucas, let's say that he says, Bruce, you can, you can throw it or throw it around, right? So let's say I throw it, I'm going to throw it, I'm going to give it a try, ready? All right, here we go. Oh, it's pretty good. Nice. Okay. So, I was, so let's say, okay, so I'm throwing it, but let's say I decide to use it to draw something on. Is that what you would want? He's thinking about it. No, he's not sure. What if I use it to if I crumple it all up and started throwing it around? Would that be okay? No. Okay. So there's certain things I can do and certain things I can't do. And if I, if I listen to this, if I crumpled it all up and he said, look, you weren't supposed to do that. He has the right to judge. That's what he's doing. He's judging because he owns it. Okay, and he has a right to judge me, to say, no, 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 what you did was wrong. That's, a, that's actually a violation of what I said you could do. So behind this notion of creator is the idea of ownership and the idea of legislating what is right and wrong and even the idea of judging. Okay? So the idea of, okay, there you go, Lucas. Good job, good job. And Lucy, can kind of see your hold ears up real quick? I'm going to see what you, are you still working on it? Excellent. Good job, Lucy. All right, let's give our kids a round of applause here. Nice job, guys. They're very, very well done. Very well done. Now, this idea of, of ownership is fundamental to the Old Testament, that God is the creator of all things, and therefore all things belong to him. Now, this is so important, gang. I want you to hear this. In Scripture, the idea is simple, that all of life, everything we have, is a gift. It is all a gift to be stewarded. How many of you have given gifts before that you realize immediately the person didn't really want? Or they didn't, the gift wasn't appreciated or wasn't used what it was intended for? That God gives us gifts. He gives us life. He gives us relationships. He gives us talents, abilities, all of these things. And these gifts are to be used in a certain way. Way. And in fact, when you read in the Old Testament and you read about the various land laws, we're talking about this in Sunday school actually a little bit. You, 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 uh, there's a certain place in the, in the Pentateuch several times actually where it says that the land belonged, even as God was allotting the promised land, giving it to various tribes, etc. He said at the end of the day, guess what? The land belongs to, to me. And every 50 years, they would actually, they would actually um, if you had purchased land or sold land, all the land would go back to the tribes that originally belonged to you, and that was because God, God was the one who owned the land. He decided where it went. And so it wasn't our, it wasn't theirs to begin with. Okay, so the idea is very simple. God is the owner, and he's the judge. And when we know that there is a judge, that will take us from being a taker at least to a keeper. If he's judge, boy, I better not steal. I better not steal. In fact, there was a, this is a, this is a, a story that I've heard, sort of a, a sermon lore story, so I don't know quite exactly how, how historical it is, but, but uh, there's a story of a missionary who, is, uh, who, who, who traveled to a remote people group, and he, uh, he was there for, I mean, he and his family got set up, and they were there, and they were trying to reach this people group, they were trying to learn the language, and there was on this property was a fruit tree. I don't know if he had planted the fruit tree or not, but he, he had this fruit tree. I think it was, you know, orange tree or so, something like that. 
And he noticed that as he was caring for this tree and, and uh, doing all that needed to be done to, to, uh, to make sure they produced fruit, that the people group that he was trying to minister to kept stealing fruit from the tree. Like, this was not their tree. This is his tree. But it didn't seem to matter. They just kept stealing. And at one point, and he actually got quite irritated with this idea that these people just didn't, they had no regard for what was his. And then one day, he, went, he, was, he was reading Genesis 1, and he talked about how God created all the fruit trees for people to eat and things of that nature. And he realized that the fruit tree was not his. The fruit tree, he knew, belonged to God. And, he, and, and one day, he's, he's talking to some of the people from the people group that he was, to whom he was ministering, and he said, hey guys, I want you to know that that orange tree or that fruit tree, it's not mine. It belongs to God. And the people group, the people were like, whoa, that tree belongs to God. And then from that day out, no one stole any of the fruit anymore because they knew it belonged to God. It didn't just belong to this white guy, right? It belonged to God. See, there's, when we know that, there, that all things, that he creates all things, then he owns all things, it gives us a sense of, I can't do whatever I want with, with anything. I've got to s- stop and say, Who is, whose is this? And what's it for? Okay, so God is, not, God is creator and he's judge, which means that we shouldn't be takers. But what, what makes us actually go to being those who are not only takers, or who are not only keepers, but actually givers? It's this idea that God is not only just, but that God is generous. That God is incredibly generous. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen uh, or even read I've never actually read the book, but you've seen the play, um, Les Miserables. Uh, the very beginning of the story uh, is a story, it's a story of Jean Valjean, and I mean, it's the actual story covers all manner of characters, but Jean Valjean is the main character, and he goes to prison for many years uh, for, for stealing. And um, of course, the, the story where the movie begins is where Jean Valjean has stolen silver. Um, he, he, gets out of, he gets out of prison, and he uh, enters into uh, this, this house of this priest and this woman who are sort of quietly, faithfully serving their older. And in the middle of the night, after, after they have welcomed him, welcomed him into their home, after they have um, give, you know, given him food, hot food to eat, in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he steals all of their silver. And he makes off with it. And, uh, and, he, and, and the next morning they wake up and they realize just the, the sense of, of, vi- of violation, the sense of loss, and they realize all of, all of their precious silver has been stolen. Well, he ends up, Jean Valjean ends up being caught, and, they, and the, the police return him to the priest. And, and Anthony, would you, would you roll this clip here? This is, um, this is the scene here. So, so that the, the priest and this lady are working in their, their garden the next day, and they're discussing what's happened, and then the, 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 uh, and then the police enter with Jean Valjean. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank and... God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack, and found all this silver. He claimed <laughs> that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. 
But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Because you forget to take them. Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. If you watch the rest of the movie, you'll, you'll, real, you'll, you'll, you'll see a man who is indeed changed. A man who actually recognizes how undeserving he is of the generosity of this priest. And how the distance, there's this gap, there's this Grand Canyon that exists between what he deserves and what he has actually received. And he, as you watch the rest of the story, Jean Valjean goes on to live a life of incredible forgiveness and generosity. It's so beautiful to watch. Now, let me, let me say this. This is so important. I want, I want you to, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. I'll find the page number here. Luke chapter 3. It's, uh, verse, verses, verse 3, verse 8. It's on page 881 of your pew Bible. This is about John the Baptist. He is, um, he is proclaiming the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. And, he is, and John the Baptist minces no words. He calls God's people to repentance. And he challenges them. And in verse 8, and this is page 881, chapter 3, verse 8, he says this, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He says, Don't just say you're sorry. Show you're sorry actually produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And he says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. He says, don't, don't appeal to somehow pedigree. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish, or I'm, I'm, I'm Presbyterian, or I have this some sort of heritage of some sort. He says, no, that, none of that matters. The verse 9, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds respond, what should we do then? And I want you to hear that the surest sign of repentance, the surest sign of a renewed life in Christ is given by John. Listen to what John says. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one 
who has none. And anyone who has, who has food should do the same. Even tax, collect, even tax collectors came up to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Do not collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? Turn the page there. It says, he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. One of the surest signs of real repentance in someone's life is when they had discovered not only that God is just, but that God is generous, that he is radically gracious. And it's when we, when we discern his generosity toward us, when we see how, how it's gulf, again, between what we have and what we, what we deserve and what we actually receive from the Lord, there is this overwhelming act of generosity that manifests itself in giving the giving of our time, the giving of our energy, the giving of our relationships, the giving of our money. Turn to the right to Luke chapter 19. To the right to Luke, to, to Chuka, uh, Luke chapter 19. This is a story that many of you will be fam- familiar with. This is uh, the story of Zacchaeus on page 902. It's on page 902. So you know the story of Zacchaeus where um, Jesus, um, Jesus is, is, is traveling through Jericho. And in verse 2 of chapter 19, we read this. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This is such an amazing past because Jesus like pretends to know this guy. He was this, this scandalous move on Jesus' part. It's a terrible HR move. Jesus has all these crowds with him. They're all excited about where they're going. They're all behind Jesus. And Jesus does the one thing that no one in the crowd wanted him to do. Jesus welcomes the wrong person. He befriends the guy who is exploiting them. And he pretends to be his friend, and then he invite, literally he pretends to be such a close friend that he literally invites himself into the guy's house to you know, basically mooch off him. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So we have this beautiful picture here of real repentance, of unquestionable repentance. Why? Because, uh, because Zacchaeus has discovered not simply a God who is just, but a God who is incredibly generous. And that's how we move from being keeper, from, from takers to keepers to givers as we discover who God is. So this morning, let me ask you, how do you doubt God's provision? There are certain areas of your life right now where you think, you know, God is just simply not going to provide. He's not going to show up. As you think of the things that you have, the gifts that you have, the job that you have, the, the various roles that you have in life, the, the time, your energy, do you think of those things as an owner? I own these things. These things are mine. My youth is mine to do what I want with. 
My middle age is what I want to do with. My retirement is what I want to do with. My, my money is mine to do what I want with. Do we think of, of, of things as, as an owner, or do we think of them as a steward, as someone who has been given something, has been gifted something to do something with? And most fundamentally this morning, I'm going to ask you who's, and we should ask ourselves, whose am I? To whom do I belong? And as Jim mentioned, we have this beautiful statement in the Heidelberg Catechism that says, I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. And there, to the Corinthians, Paul writes these words. He says, he says um, you, were, you were bought at a price. Honor God with your body. You were bought at a price. Honor the Lord. This morning, let me ask you, as you look at all that you have, all that you are, ask, whose am I? Whose is this? Look at in your car as you drive away. Whose car is this? As you look at your bank statement, whose money is this? As you look at the world around us, we ask this question, whose is this? And what's it for? What's, what's it for? Let me conclude with this. As at our, we, every three months we've been... Um, Every three months from now, from now on, it's a session. We don't just have a, our own monthly session meeting. We have what are called super session meetings. And the super session meeting has the deacons there, and we've got the women's leadership team there, uh, the, 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 the church staff is there, and we, we gather together. And at the most recent super session meeting, we talked about the idea of, of moving forward in the life of the church. And we came up with two aspects, two things that we wanted to do that would enable us to move forward. The first is called rebuilding. We want to rebuild. We look around here, we can think of the parking lot, we can think of various facility management things that, that need to be done. And we want to rebuild. We want to invest because Good Shepherd has a future. We're moving forward. In order to do that, we have to care for our building and grounds. So we want to rebuild. But we don't want to just rebuild, we want to reach out. We want to reach out. We want to begin to think about, okay, our neighborhoods. We want to begin to think about our missionaries that we support. We want to begin to think about various ways that we can minister to our community. So it's not only rebuilding, it's, it's reaching out. And so what we're going to do is for, this, for, the, for pretty much the next four or five weeks, the, the session has decided that we want to have a, a, a small but very real capital campaign, a time we're going to call it rebuild and reach out. And you're going to hear more information about this. But I would ask you this week to prayerfully consider your heart and to consider, uh, to consider giving to this campaign. You may, it's, again, some of you may see, you may have a heart for some of the things around or some of the, the, the building and the grounds. You say, yeah, I really want to give to see this, 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 um, this, neighbor, this uh, parking lot or this, this, this building refurbished and renewed. Others of you may say, you know what, I really want to give so that at the end of the year we can, we can actually give an end-of-year gift to some of our missionaries. Or we can give an end-of-year gift to one of, our local, um, one of our local agencies or one of our local nonprofits that's serving. So please, you'll hear more information about how to do that, what it's going to look like. But it's a very simple campaign, rebuild and reach out. So please, take, take some time this week, take some time this afternoon, and think about how God is calling you, calling all of us, to move from being takers, not merely, not merely to, to keepers, but to givers. Because, because he is not only just, he is generous. And I hope in that story, I hope in that story of Jean Valjean, you see yourself. We come before God and we realize what we deserve and we're as guilty as sin. It's so obvious. Because that's who we are. We are sinners. 
But in the gospel, God gives us the righteousness of Christ. He robes us with his perfect righteousness so that we are in every way blameless, pure in his sight. And he speaks to us that's just in ways that, of course, you, of course you're here. Of course I gave these things to you. There's, this, there's almost this lie going on as if somehow we are, we, we, he's called us something that we are so clearly not. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, sinners are justified, just as if they had never sinned to begin with. And that is our hope. That is the generosity of our God. It is the way that all the wrong people, people like Zacchaeus, can become people who are scandalously uh, thieves, who are in all manner of extortion, known notoriously, go from being those who are takers to incredible givers. Please, this afternoon, will you, will you prayerfully think about participating in, 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 the, in the mission and the ministry of this church to rebuild and to reach out? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we, as we think of this very simple commandment, Father, we are invited into generosity. We're invited into your generosity to know that you are a God who gives that you, Jesus, are one who came and gave without end. Even as we enter into the Advent season soon, we enter into one who, who, who emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Father, this morning, I pray that you would move the hearts of your people to generosity. Lord, I pray that we would know the joy of generosity, that we would enjoy the joy, Father, of serving you, of being part of how you are a God who loves to redeem, who loves to rebuild, who loves to reach out, who loves to, to, to serve those that, who deserve it least. So, Father, please, this morning, hear our prayers. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.